Welcome, humans. This is Abigail on the Peak Curiosity Podcast. Today, I have Ken Simmerly, who is the singer for a new band called Fleetburner, with their self-titled album coming out tomorrow, September 25th. Ken actually edited this episode for me, and I gotta say, I got goosebumps listening back to it. Guys, this music is for real. I hope you love it. So, I guess we'll start with, how is your day? How's my day? It's been good. I've been working on my kids' desks for homeschool, and uh, Natalie wanted me to make some desks, so I made some desks. Four desks. Wow, four of them. What are you making them out of? Wood. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, like <laughs> plywood? <laughs> yeah, plywood. Pine? No, it's plywood. I actually bought it quite a while ago for a different project, and um, I got some stuff that had a really nice finish, well, veneer on it, and uh, it's, you know, it's like a half inch, maybe a little more than that, three-quarter inch thick. Yeah, so each of them is like a tabletop with um, these little drawer cubby, or not drawers, but like little cubby things on the side. Mm Mm-hmm. So I've got two that are done minus trim and two more that are almost done. So I've got to make the legs and then uh, the uh, you know put them on and then do all the trim work. And that's all I have left to do. So would you mind introducing yourself and why you are here? My name is Kenneth Edward Simmerly Esquire the third. Uh, my name is Ken Simmerly and I right now am acting as the singer for fleet burner your album is called fleet burner the band is called fleet burner yes do you know how the name fleet burner came about yeah well these the album is about a it's a concept album so each song can be taken by itself and if people want to enjoy it that way then you know more power to them they, they can definitely do that but as a whole the album tells a story about a kind of a mythical character called the fleet burner and um, this is a person who sets out from home on a little homemade ship to try and escape from uh, darkness and desolation that's all around him on the land. And as he's growing up, he he continually hears this comforting voice from the ocean. And so finally, one day, he he decides to seek after that. So he throws everything away, in, in a sense, and he builds this, this craft. And he sets out on the sea. Basically, this fleet amasses around him. And the fleet represents all of the things in a person's life that they wish were not there, whatever that happens to be for you. And hmm. uh, and in the end, he makes the difficult and ultimately good decision to destroy those things so that he is no longer, A, followed by them, but also, B, that he can't return to the place that he came. So that's what the, that's what the name is about. Okay. Interesting. So I have more questions, but I'm also interviewing the writer kevin so i'm gonna save some of those questions for him since he was the writer of it perfect that's probably for the best because uh you know (laughs) (laughs) so i'll start we'll backtrack a little bit i have my intro questions just usually people are nervous and sometimes it's me so i need to have some really chill small talk so the first question is what is your favorite animal? My favorite animal is a cow. <laughs> at this moment, right now. 
and that Give me is your best cow noise. I will not. <laughs> I refuse. <laughs> okay, fine. So, can I tell you why it's my favorite animal at this you moment? May. Okay, because we already recorded this conversation once, mm-hmm. and that recording process was arduous because I kept getting everything messed up, and then the recording didn't work out super well, so now we're doing it again, yeah. and last time I said cow because it was totally off the top of my head, and so this time I'm saying cow because I said it last time. Fair enough. What's your favorite article of clothing? Well, today it's my boots. Hmm. I like them. I they I, I keep not polishing them until they look terrible, and then I polish them back up again, and then they look, well, slightly less terrible, and I like them again a lot. No, whatever works. Do you have any particular reason, or is it just it's what you're wearing today? It's what I'm wearing today. Actually, it was what I was looking at when you asked me, so that's why. <laughs> <laughs> so, where were you born and raised? I was born in, I'm saying this at a sensitive time in our nation's history, so nobody can hate me for this. I didn't choose where I was born, but I was born in the state of California, the late, great California. Um, And uh, anyway, I lived there for about six months. My parents moved uh, six months after I was born. We lived in Salem for about seven years, and then in 1997... We moved to Boise, and we've been in the Treasure Valley ever since, whether in Boise Meridian area or in uh, the Ontario area. Are you the youngest? I am. How old are you? I'm 30. You're 30. Hmm. It's, I was just really surprised by you saying 1997, because it seemed like too long ago. Oh, well, Well, it doesn't seem so long ago to some of us, Abigail. (laughs) No, it does seem a long time ago, actually. You know, Megan one time asked me what year I was born in, and I said 96, and she could not believe how old I was to be born before the year 2000. (laughs) Wow. So funny. It was a whole different millennia. Yeah, which is kind of cool. I'm excited that when I'm 90, gonna be people are going to think, wow, let's go see that lady who was born in the last millennia. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I like how you and I both said the plural for, for millennium when speaking of one single millennium. It's well, a tough one. How many, the truth how many is, words have a plural the truth, of mm. That's true. Cherubim, the, I guess. The main problem is you just said it and then I went with it because I didn't actually know. Oh, okay. Well, okay. It's not so, how you should live your life, Abigail. <laughs> Don't do what Ken does. <laughs> That's right. I was meaning other people generally, but you know, oh. I, guess, I guess that maxim works too. Well, now the secret's out. That's how I've had such wild success is I've looked at Ken and then I thought, I'm going to do not that. Oh, okay. <laughs> so is that why you haven't joined a European metal band anytime? That would something? be that would be the reason. You went to school. You were not homeschooled like the rest of us in this cult in Ontario. <laughs> yeah, I went to public school all the way up till the very last two months of the eighth grade, when I was not technically kicked out, but uh, they showed me the door <laughs> of uh, of my middle school there in Meridian. 
And so my mom, what, what happened was basically I got suspended and they were like, look, uh, Ken's mom one more time and, uh, we're going to kick him out. So she was like, yeah, I'll just save you the trouble. Don't worry about it. (laughs) So she homeschooled me for the last, like, I don't know, it was probably two months, six weeks, something like that. And then I, I was enrolled at Centennial High School. I went through Mm -hmm. like the orientation or whatever. And uh, I actually practiced with their football team a couple of times. I almost what? played football. That's right. And and then I, uh, my parents, my mom actually was like, just a couple of days, three, five, something like that. I don't know. A few days before school started. Uh, she was like, hey, let's go in the car. Let's get in the car and go on a little drive. And I was like, okay. So I got in the car. And we drove to Nampa. And uh, we pulled up to this old army barracks building, which the school was in at the time. And uh, I found out that she was taking me to a meeting with the superintendent of uh, Napa Christian to see if she could get me in there. (laughs) She was successful. (laughs) And I started school there instead as a little surprise for my freshman year. Nice. I have never been so shocked to hear that you almost played football. I didn't even know you'd gotten that close. You know, Abigail, I actually did play football before. What? That's right. In uh, elementary school, I played. I played flag football for one year in, I guess, I don't know, second grade or something like that. And then I played tackle football probably two or three seasons. That is super surprising. How come any love of sports never carried on? I, I mean, I don't know. I like sports okay. They're fine. (laughs) Especially when they talk about politics. That's actually what I like the most. (laughs) So since we're talking about your music career, I'm going to base career. my questions <laughs> yeah. around like that. that. This is a good so, word, career. <laughs> so you, did you do choir? Were you into music when you were young? Yeah, so I, I did, I played in band in middle school. I started on the trumpet and moved quickly to the baritone. And from there, I moved quickly again to the tuba. And I played the what? tuba from, I guess, about the seventh grade till the through the tenth grade. Um, I was never very good, but I did have private lessons at one point with this guy at BSU who was very good. And like listening to somebody play the tuba really well by themselves is a treat. So I encourage anyone huh. to get onto the internet with a nice pair of headphones. If you're ever going to listen to music, please. Public service <laughs> announcement. Do it on a nice pair of headphones. (laughs) Whoever you're listening to has worked too hard for you to, you know, squeeze it out on Mm -hmm. your phone. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, unless there's some phone I'm unaware of that has actually good speakers, which... They don't exist. Well, not yet, but they're on their way, I'm sure. I'm sure. Anyway, so I always wanted to sing. I enjoyed singing a lot. I loved it. But I was discouraged from doing so by certain people in my life at the time. <laughs> was it because you were bad? No, I I wasn't. I just had, you know, it was just, uh, yeah. I also had this weird thing where for some reason I thought being in choir was lame. I don't mm-hmm. know why. Um, and I thought being in band was cool, I guess. <laughs> I would no. say they're both equally meh. Equally meh, yeah. yeah. Well, I wanted to be 
I wanted to sing, and by my junior year, let's see, how did it happen? I don't remember. I don't really remember. I know that I wound up in choir by my junior year, and I loved it. And by my senior year, I had three separate choir classes. I was in men's Mm. choir. I was in the... Wait a minute. Hold on. No. No, no, no. I take that back. I had two choir classes my junior year, because I was in the normal choir, and I was in the men's choir. And then uh, my senior year, I was in the, um, like super elite choir and also in men's choir and i might have been in normal choir too i think i was i think i had three choir classes my, my senior year <laughs> so oh, i went to school and, i went to school and sang all day and i had the coolest choir teacher ever she was great mm. she was the so, best she taught you all the techniques even though i feel like choir technique and normal singing technique is nothing the same well she was First of all, she was very cool, and she hosted, like, all of the kids who enjoyed music were hanging around her place, her, you know, room, as much as, as we could. And so it was it was a lot more than just, like, okay, we're going to sing this piece or whatever. There was quite a lot of that, too, but, you know, she would, uh, you know, if we wanted to know how to play something, she would do her best to, to show us how to do it or to expose us to somebody who could show us that. Yeah, she was great. This is a totally different conversation than the last time. Yep. It's how it worked. So with That's Christiana, cool. I had a similar problem where it was literally my very first time sitting down with two microphones to record, and it sounded really bad. So we tried again, and the second conversation had about one common factor in it. So. Oh, wow. And honestly, we talked about Harry Potter most of the time. Oh, <laughs> I don't even okay. like Harry Potter. You don't? <laughs> It was fine. I read the books a couple years ago because, you know, magic wasn't allowed in my house. So I would watch a movie or read a book, then watch the exact movie and just took turns. And they were fine. I much preferred the books than the movies because the books had some light humor in it. And it felt like she wasn't taking it so incredibly serious. But the movies lost all of the charm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Now, I should clarify, I don't think I've read a Harry Potter book since I got the seventh one when it when it came out. Yeah. And I read it in like, it probably took me a really long time, but it was as short of a time as possible for me. <laughs> so. They came out, the, it had to have been, you were about the target age demographic, weren't you? I definitely was. So yeah. the first books... I think the very first book came out in probably right around 1995. I was exposed to them by 98. And so I read the first three and then spent the rest of my childhood waiting around for the next one to come out. (laughs) So when, you know, when we were waiting for the fourth one, it was like super, super excited. And when it came out, it was way bigger. It was like as big as the first three put together. By the time the seventh one came out, I was 17. She wrote to an aging audience, I think. Yes, it Um, was genius. Yeah, which is why I'm not super comfortable, like, letting my kids start super young. I want them to be at the age where they can really enjoy and understand the later books before they start. Yeah, because they do get pretty dark. They do. They get really heavy. Yeah. I cried big tears when certain characters died. I'm not going to lie. 
Yeah, like Hagrid. Hey, hey, no spoilers now. Oh. These books have only been out for like 15 years. <laughs> mm. Yeah. <laughs> I did not like Hagrid, honestly. We need to just talk about something else. Okay. You can't not like Hagrid. He's the most lovable <laughs> fictional character of the 90s. Maybe. No, he definitely is. <laughs> Who is more lovable? Of specifically the 90s? Yes. I honestly don't know. You're right, because there isn't anybody else. Okay. I also know almost nothing from pop culture in the 90s. Okay, so back to music here. Yeah. Uh, back to So me. after choir and stuff, what did you do next? What did I do next? I graduated high school. And I had zero idea of what I wanted to do. I was working at the Super 8 Motel in Ontario, doing the night shift and uh, checking in various people throughout the night at a uh, interstate stop-off town. So I'll let you fill in with your imagination mm -hmm, what that was mm -hmm. like. It was a very uh, colorful experience. Just a few months, and I have a lot of stories. But none of them are... Um, <laughs> None of them are appropriate for today. Not a single one. <laughs> we'll put a pin in that and come back to that okay. next time we're over for dinner. Yes, I'll tell you all about it. So you worked at this little interstate yeah. town. I was working at the motel, and uh, I had seen a, a team for uh, that was part of a, an organization called CTI, and I had seen that team at my high school. It was like a group that used to send out teams of young musicians between the ages of like 18 and 30-ish and uh, they would send them out touring for a whole year throughout North America and uh, and then for one of them for one month out of the year they would go internationally so they would go overseas somewhere uh, so I had seen them uh, during my senior year I auditioned uh, on the same day I saw them afterward they were holding auditions so I auditioned and then yeah, I graduated and basically I didn't know what else to do. And it seemed like it was a place where, you know, they wanted me to go. So, so I went <laughs> and I'm really glad I did. It was a great experience for me. And I spent two years there and uh, toured all over the place. And we were really busy playing, playing music and it was fun. And I also yeah. met my wife there. Uh, she was working in the office as a recruiter. And though I do tease her that she recruited her husband, the truth is that she actually came after I was already there. So, mm. so the CTI it was mostly like pop worship music, right? Yeah, more or less. It was mm -hmm. the stuff you hear on Christian radio for the most part. So you did have to learn how to sing, like I don't know, "Blessed Be Your Name" in Chinese. Uh, no. So we learned a few. We learned I can't remember maybe three songs in Mandarin when we went to Taiwan. Mm. Um, some of the some of the teams that were like only doing international tours, so they had two different programs. One was a year long program I've already described, and then the other one was a six week program in the summer. So you would go for two weeks of training in Minnesota at the base, and the full timers is what we called them, and those were the people who did the one year tour. They would end their year by training and leading teams uh, internationally. So. Uh, for example, my second year at the end of my North American 
tour, if you want to call it that, uh, we, we did like four or five tours throughout the year. So at the end of our last tour, we broke up and then into like different groups. And some of us were leading teams to, I led a team to Guatemala my, my last year. Hmm. Or rather my last, uh, sorry, that was the last thing that I did with CTI. So I I trained uh, sound guys for the first uh, couple of weeks. And then we had a lull in between. And then uh, the teams came back and the new teams came and we trained them. And then I led a team to Guatemala. And I was a sound guy on that team. And we toured around Guatemala and played music and it was fun. You met Natalie there, you got married. You lived in Minnesota for a while, right? Yeah, uh, I lived in Minnesota from the end of my last tour, which was in the fall of 2010, until, I guess, the summer of 2012, so about two years. And so then you moved to Ontario, Oregon, Uh where you worked at Calvary and were the youth leader, and you took a pretty long hiatus for music, except for just worship leading. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. I you did, did a, teach us a lot about music. Oh, I did. That's nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe not theory, but more importantly, how to play in a band. Well, I learned from some really, really great people at CTI. There were, yeah. that was one thing that there were some super stellar musicians who were there, um, both on some of the teams and also in, in doing the training stuff. There were some really great musicians there. So, uh, at what point did you start putting out some of your solo stuff? Well, I had recorded a lot of solo stuff over the years. I never felt like it was very good. And then in 2017, a friend of mine from high school who I had been really close with in high school, uh, but who I hadn't really talked to since, uh, died unexpectedly. And that was a very, it was shocking how much I felt that, uh, Especially since part of me felt like I didn't have permission to mourn as hard as I did because I hadn't talked to him for so many years. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was like when I found out that he was gone, it suddenly it like it was like a uh, I don't know it was like a wormhole opened up and my high school memories and emotions just came pouring out of it. Mm-hmm. And um, you know I went and I dug through some old stuff and I found some some songs that he and I had written together. And I started to play them again, and I just remember feeling like life is short, and if I want to record this music, some of which he and I had written together in high school and others I'd written you know, throughout the years, it was kind of like, if I want to do this, I need to do it right now, and I can't wait anymore. So that was sort of one of the things that acted as a kind of impetus for me to begin writing again and begin... Um, recording some music and again it was like I kept recording it and going ah this isn't good enough this isn't good enough and then finally I just went well whatever it's never going to be good enough because I'm a father of four and I have a full-time job and a wife and uh, no help so I'm just gonna (laughs) I'm just gonna bang this out on my guitar and I'm gonna throw it up online so that was kind of the start and then I asked some friends of mine including your husband to uh, to play some stuff live and so we put together a few concerts and played in the Ontario area and once in Boise. And uh, and that was really fun. Your solo stuff is super country. Yeah. So how did you go from mostly country to 
metal? Uh, yeah, so <laughs> I definitely have deep roots in rock and roll. That's where, I mean, that's that's what I have enjoyed my whole life. I love funk. I always have. I love rock and roll. And in high school, I was super, super into classic rock and uh, like 80s metal. I really like, you know, hair metal stuff. Anyway, I... The country was kind of the, it was, that was the thing that was the outlier for, oh, <laughs> for me. Yeah. But, you know, it wasn't really even, it wasn't super country, was it? Was it super country? Well, it was country in that there was a lot of storytelling. Oh, yeah. That, and that's something that I love too. So that's not going to go away no matter what genre I'm doing if I'm doing the writing. Gotcha. Yeah. But I did, I did go more on the, on the countryside for the, for two of the songs that I put out. I only put out three songs like on YouTube or whatever. And uh, for those, there were, there were a couple that were, that were country. And then I did write, I wrote that Oregon trail song and that's kind of a country rock sort of Mm -hmm. a thing. Would you ever like use this band that you have now to like really record those for real? Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if that would be the right fit. Yeah. It would maybe it would be a challenge to transition into not metal. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, but the record that we've just put out, it has a lot of metal in it, but it's something else also. Uh, maybe I should say it's got a lot of something else too. You know, I should have had you listen to the whole album. I should have sent it to you. So you, you really should have. Yeah. Now I am going to add that maybe you listener do not like metal, and so you're thinking, why on earth would I listen to this? Now, to be clear, it is not screamo. It is rock with singing. So that is a big difference, because I hate screamo, but I like this. I'm glad that you like it. And I also don't particularly like music with a lot of screaming and uh, and very harsh vocals. But uh, I also... I have not been in social circles where such a taste could easily be acquired. So I imagine that if, you know, Fleetburner ever does tour and we uh, open for a band that, that does that kind of thing, I'd probably come back with, uh, with the acquired taste. Yeah, I'd really... Do you want to give us your best uh, scream? Uh, no, I refuse oh. also on this. <laughs> I was hoping I could get you to do a... a we are the champions chorus. Oh, is that a scream? <laughs> no, but I was also hoping I could get that. Well, that's more likely. <laughs> why do you why do you want me to do that? Well, a couple weeks ago, Jordan and I were listening to music that I listened to in early high school just doing a major flashback. And I apparently listened to a lot of Queen, and I was thinking I'd really like to hear Ken cover this. Hey, can I tell you an idea that I have had? Okay, I want to do, I want to do a, like a, a, I want to put together a show that would be a, it would be like a, I don't know what you'd call it, Royals Night or something like that. And then you would do a bunch of covers from musicians who have royalty in the title or who are, you know, like you could do Elvis because he's the king. You could do Michael Jackson because he's the king of pop. And then you could do Prince, and you could do Queen, and it would be this just extravaganza of these big theatrical, you know, performers who who had this, you know, royalty thing in common. I think it'd be really, really fun. 
I think you should definitely do that. It would be the bomb. The bomb.com. And then you could hear me sing We Are the Champions. Yes. So this reminds me, there is a book and then HBO made a series. This is not an endorsement of the TV show. It is an endorsement of the book. But there was this one like school fundraiser where it was an Elvis night. So all of the men had to dress up like Elvis and sing like karaoke and all the women had to dress up like Audrey Hepburn and it was really funny. And that would also be a fun a fun get together. That would be fun too, yeah. Yeah. I, I was imagining this um in Caldwell there's like that ice skating rink and I was imagining <laughs> it'd be really fun because they've got the stage right there. Yeah. It'd be really fun to do it in winter. Like with you'd have to get heaters on on your musicians, and they'd have to play instruments that they were willing to subject to some pretty intense weather. Uh, yeah. But it'd be, I think, it'd be really fun to do that. Wow, that's a great idea. Yeah. Oh, so man. if you know anybody who works there, <coughs> tell them. I don't. I don't. Oh well. How in the world did this band come about? Because this was completely remote, recorded. Everyone lived in different countries. And are you the only American? I am. Huh. Yeah, so how did how did this work? I'm guessing you're probably going to ask Kevin the same question. Mm-hmm. So you'll I get will. his version of events as well, which will be kind of fun. Um, so I'll give you the real brief version that I know about what was happening on his end, uh, and then I'll tell you about my experience. So uh, he was touring with another band and in like 2018... And he and the drummer from one of the bands that was on that tour got along really well. And they said, hey, we should start a band together. And then Kevin went home from that tour and he wrote the entire album in a period of like three months. And then he brought in a couple of other musicians, some friends from um, different bands. And they together uh, worked on this thing and had all the instruments recorded in a, in a relatively short period of time. At that point, they needed a vocalist, so they uh, they found somebody, and it seemed at first like it was going to be a good fit, and you know there was a period of quite a few months that went by where they were working with this guy, and then it became clear over, the, over, over that period of time that it wasn't really going to work out. So they started looking again, and... You know, it was just this long process of uh, striking out with uh, with various people that they thought, oh, this guy might be a good fit. And then it turned out maybe he wasn't and uh, that kind of thing. So finally, after it had been over a year since the album was since the instruments had been finished and Kevin decided, you know what, I just want this thing to be recorded. I don't care even at this point if we never are able to tour or anything. I just want the record to be finished. So he put up a video online just on YouTube to the whole world looking for a vocalist. But Kevin wasn't actually in the video. And this is something that for me was kind of, I don't know if important is the right word. After watching that video, I had a really, really good impression of Kevin, even though he wasn't in it. So it was a bunch of his friends from different bands around Europe who were just saying, our friend has recorded this record, it sounds really good, and he's looking for a vocalist, and he's a great guy, and all that kind of stuff. So I just felt like, here's a guy whose friends care about him enough, and care about what he's doing enough to 
to help him make something like this to look for vocalists. And he, it's not like a guy sitting in front of a camera going, Hey, I've got this album and I need some help. I'm looking for a vocalist, whatever. It was, you know, a whole bunch of people, probably, a, I don't know, probably eight or 10 people in that video who were saying our friend Kevin needs help. They said that he was looking for somebody who could sing like Jeff Buckley. So that night <laughs> I found the video, by the way, at like 1130 at night. And right away I recorded an audition and I recorded myself singing Jeff Buckley's version of Hallelujah, which by the way is the best version of that song. And I sent him the audition and went to bed. And the next morning uh, I had a response in my email saying that he was interested and interested in working with me, whether or not Fleetburner was the right project. Uh, at that hmm. time, there was somebody else who he had already been talking to, and basically it was up to whether or not that guy's schedule was going to work. So there was kind of an interim of a week or so where that was up in the air. And uh, during that time, I discovered that well, actually, what had happened was I looked at Kevin's, like, his Facebook and stuff, and he seemed like a really cool guy, and I looked at the bands that the other guys were in, and I hadn't really ever, I mean, I had heard of one of them before, and the other ones I had never really heard of, and so I just saw, like, oh, they have Wikipedia pages, and they've got so many followers, and that was as far as I went, um, and I sort of thought, you know, Kevin had talked to me about the record and about what he wanted it to be, about this theme, about this fleet burner guy who was trying to escape, you know, evil things in his life. And I felt really good about that storyline and all that kind of stuff. But he was so gracious and he was so, I mean, he said, look, this album is supposed to be about um, living in a dark world and not wanting to be a part of it. And he said, I feel like you're the right guy for this job. I feel like you're the right singer for this album. You're the right guy to help me tell this story. And I will not ask you to do anything you're uncomfortable with. I won't ask you to sing any lyrics you're uncomfortable with. And he gave me a huge amount of influence on what the lyrics were going to be. And we, we took the story that he had and we worked together to make something that certainly is the original story arc but is also in many ways very different from what he had written and from kind of the like he had written lyrics to each song but they were in many cases they were more like poems it was more like this is the this is the general feel that i want on this song and then i came in and i would take that impression and and craft new lyrics and and a, and a vocal part and stuff some of the time the songs are almost entirely new lyrics with uh, a few things kept and in other cases, they're almost identical to what he had written. But the whole album still works together really well. And uh, it's, I, I think it's, I think one of the coolest things about this experience has been that Kevin and I are incredibly different people. We think about the world in very different ways. And yet we have these sort of parallel experiences in our lives. So he wrote the album about something in his life that was very similar to something that had happened in my life at one time. We both had, well, I won't, I won't go too much into it. Um, and then he wrote another <laughs> song where he was like, there was a friend of mine who was really influential uh, in music and he died young. And that's, you know, this song is a kind of a tribute to him. And of course, like I told you, mm -hmm. that really resonated with me. And there were a whole bunch of other things like that, just these parallels that we had had. And so in some ways it's like, 
Here are common human experiences, dealing with loss and dealing with feeling rejected by somebody that you trusted and those kinds of things. And this is one story told about two separate people's experiences with those through a through a common analogy. And it just, there's something magical about that. Not just the, fin- the finished project, but also the ability for two people who are so different, who, I mean... You know, just name an issue that's hot today. We probably are on opposite sides of it. Um, And yet, instead of having the kind of enmity and the kind of division that is at work in the world and that we're encouraged constantly to partake in, we were able to find common ground and not just do something technical together, but do something meaningful together. And I think that that is, you know, I've certainly been inspired by it. Yeah, that is really cool. There is really something about one common thing that if it's a strong enough force, you forget about the disagreements. Yeah. Well, and, you know, again, like I haven't, I don't feel like I have had to compromise any of my principles. I wouldn't do that. And, you know, neither has he had to do that. And and we're still able to, in spite of our disagreements, we're still able to, to work together, to be kind to one another. And that's the other thing. Like, we like each other. We didn't start with, here's all the things we disagree on, and hey, I noticed that you posted this thing on Facebook that I disagree with, and you're wrong, or whatever. Mm-hmm. We were just like, you know, I looked at his Facebook, and I saw that he had posted some stuff that I was like, meh, that's, that's a position that I have a different viewpoint on. And he did the same thing with me. And yet, we talked about, you know, what it feels like to lose a friend, or what it feels like to go through being betrayed by a friend. And we both know what that is. We both yeah. know what that feels like and we both love music and we're both, you know, there's just so many things that, you know, we, we enjoy each other's company, even though we've never actually met physically and in person, we've spent a lot of time, you know, doing, uh, face, face calls, FaceTimes, YouTube, mm-hmm. I don't know. We've spent a lot of time face to face on the internet <laughs> and we enjoy each other's company. And so if ever, you know, we do come to a point where we end up discussing, our political differences or whatever it happens to be there's a there's a friendship that is there now so that discussion could potentially actually be fruitful maybe we could actually learn something from each other rather than just say oh i you posted this thing unfollow or cancel you or whatever you already had music that you had to fit the words into and make a melody for that seems super hard to me but i don't understand how music writing works well, haven't you done any? No, I can come up with some instrumental parts, but not a word or a melody to be found within me. Oh, well, you should try practice. <laughs> that is That's futile. My advice. But no, 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 it's not. Uh, okay, so, um, so on some songs, like the first song that I did for this album was the song that I kind of auditioned with. So after. I did my initial audition, he sent me some of the music and I listened to it and was blown away right off the bat. Um, And uh, he told me to, you know, put some vocals down and and just send back what I was, you know, I don't know, just to do it, you know? (laughs) So he sent me the lyrics, he sent me the song, he told me that I could be pretty free with it, and, um, and I was, and I remember, like, the actual, getting the start was difficult but once i hit 
the first line of that song, which is peace and kindness, are they just a dream? Um, it it just kind of flowed. original ending that I did actually we changed um, but uh, but I don't think that takes away from the fact that it took me an afternoon to, to write the lyrics and the vocal parts uh, almost in the final I mean very close to what you hear in the final version <laughs> and yeah I uh, I think that a, a lot of it was like that other times I would be you know for hours laboring away in my little studio area and then, you know, have like one line. <laughs> uh, and, and other times I would call Kevin and just be like, dude, I've got nothing for this track. I've got nothing. He goes, okay, well here's, here's kind of what I was envisioning. And then he would send me a, uh, a track where he would play out what he was thinking and then I would sing it. And so it, it was kind of a variety of things. Some, sometimes it went really smoothly. Other times it was like, um, kind of throwing it against the wall and seeing what stuck. And uh, in some cases, there was a lot that got uh, cut from a particular song. And in other cases, it was like, I would send it and he'd go, great, I love it. And basically, that was it. What's your favorite song on the album? It changes all the time. Right now, it's probably the deck or the course. Okay. Those two are... Those two are regularly near the top, and neither of those have been released uh, as of this moment. But tomorrow, the album comes out, and they will. You can listen to them on Spotify. Great. So let's talk about your singles a little bit. The first one to come out was "Open Water." Yes. And uh, what is that one about? Um, that one is the part of the story where he has left the shore and he has made it past the breakwater and now he's at sea. And I imagine at the beginning there's kind of this moonlit night and he's alone on the sea and then he's a, he, he wakes up and he hears other ships coming behind him. And he finds that the very thing he had been seeking to, to run away from um, – has has found him and is now all around him and there's this big battle that takes place out on the sea. Is it steel? Is it sulfur? Is it pain? Is it torture? Is it war? Is it war? Is it war? And um it's uh it's cool. This is really such an interesting concept album. I really like it. The most interesting obviously the next single the passenger i have a couple thoughts number one we need to discuss the music video number two uh the the chick that joins in about three quarters of the way through and then the just the vibe of that song made me feel like there was a still not a little bit bigger than a creek but a very slow moving river maybe a lake where it was foggy and the moon is just barely creeping up that is the feeling of that song yeah i mean yeah. put it put that on a placid sea and you got it that's exactly yeah. what it was intended to to convey Yes, a dying cold in the quiet. 
that's really cool. Normally, I really am bad at getting the mental image that the artist is trying to create. Normally, they have to tell me, and then I go, okay. But this one I actually got, which is quite shocking. I feel like Kevin is really, really quite good at that. And and the rest of the band is excellent as well. The the keyboard player, uh, his name is Vili Mati, and he is stellar. And there's so many layers of, of keys and synthesizers and, and all the rest that are that, that really contribute to to the settings that mm-hmm. you're like what you described. Yeah. I will get to it in a minute, but I did really appreciate the, the keys in below the waves. Super good. Okay, so the music video here I had to laugh when I when I saw it because it's just a one shot music video of you singing and my thought was there's no way he remembered the words to do this in one take and why why would you say that (laughs) well i would say that because we played on worship teams for many years together and i don't know if there was a set or even a song where words didn't get mixed up at some point or another wow wow (laughs) well (laughs) hold on hold on to be fair, though, tell me if this is true or not. In rehearsal, that is 100% true. It's true. But... In game time, when game time came around, things got better. Often it would be something like the same part of the previous verse. You would just mix, put, insert that line in where it was the hey, right sometimes melody. Sometimes I just rework them. I rework them because I like certain words better that's all uh, whatever whatever anywho <laughs> <laughs> so i just had to laugh that there's no way he he got through that in one take so tell me okay, about well, that the, okay so the truth is that i didn't get through it in one day <laughs> because what at the very very end i did mess it up i said uh a, let's see i think the last time it says a cry for help but i can't free you and I, I accidentally said a cry for help, but I can't see you. Ugh. Doing that video was really tough. <laughs> it's like I know it's stupid, but it was. I was I was in my brother-in-law's basement. He has a, uh, a video production studio called uh, uh, Oily Coo Productions, mm-hmm. and Cute. he was he was doing it for me, and I was standing there with this big light in my face, concrete floor. And I'm looking, I mean, the camera was right in my face. So the vast majority of my vision was taken up with the lens of the camera. And after four or five takes, because I would, you know, I, I would mess up a word or, or you know, uh, there were there was other things too. Like there was one time where I feel like the speaker, something weird happened with the speaker. Anyway, we had done quite a few takes. And I kept messing it up or something was kept going wrong. And by the, by like the sixth take when we would get to that part where uh the other vocalist agneta comes in and she's got this voice and the the ambience in the song and it's very mesmerizing and i was having a near hallucinogenic experience it was like the camera's lens it looked it felt like it was spinning and it felt like i was spinning and i was just like concentrating on like okay don't look away but also really don't fall down <laughs> <laughs> You've been to 
I can't imagine. Did you have a hard time? I imagine the first couple takes you would stop and giggle. Like it would be very difficult to be serious enough to get through it. Oh, every single take at the end of it, oh. I was like, I would like let out a big laugh at the end. Like, oh, okay, it's over. Great. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't know if you know this about me, but I tend to not be a super serious person. Uh, well, on one hand, you're the silliest person in the room, and then the next topic, you're the most serious. So you, it's a bit of both. Uh, what is her name? Her name is Agneta, and uh, she has a awesome voice. Yeah. Uh, how does Kevin know her? I don't actually know. You'll have to ask him that. Okay. I, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing that it's, you know, they've toured together or met on tours or something like that. Anyway, she's she's uh, she's the lead singer for a band called Matter Mortem. She's a guest on the album, and she's in quite a few tracks. The latest one, Below the Waves, is very interesting musically. But I did not pay attention to the words. What is this one about? So, uh, if you remember in uh, The Passenger... Um, he, at the beginning of the song, he finds somebody and he's seeking to help this person. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to draw this person's attention away from the suffering and the pain that he's trying to focus on, the negative parts of life. And he's trying to point him towards something else, something good. Um, but also, he realizes at the end of the song, when he says, a cry for help, but I can't free you, that the ability to to deliver this person from his self-destructive tendencies uh, is that power is beyond the fleet burner. This person, this passenger has betrayed the fleet burner and has, uh, has thrown him into the sea. And you get to hear that. Is there anything is there a new project with Fleet Burner coming down the pike? We have talked about doing a second album um, or maybe some singles. Well, maybe I should say and maybe some singles. Um, I think that part of that will will be determined with the kind of enthusiasm that we get. Uh, if people discover and enjoy our first album, it'll be, of course, easier to release a second one. Um this first one has, for Kevin, it's been over two years that he's been working on this project. And he's really, it's admirable that he's stuck to it this long. I've been involved for a year now. I, I met him in September. So it's been a full year since, since we met and it's finally coming out. So anyway, the answer, the short answer is yes. What other musical projects, if any, do you have going on? So at this exact moment, I have a couple things kind of in the works but one of them is sort of fun i have met this group of guys in japan we did one cover together of a, of a song by dio and it was um stand up and shout it's the same old song you gotta be somewhere sometime and that was so much fun and it was just kind of it was another thing kind of like fleet burner uh only a lot less involved obviously it was just they had recorded uh, this song and they were looking for a vocalist and so I sent him an audition and they liked my audition and it got it right away and it, the song was up like hours after I sent in my audition they just took that and that's what they used which was awesome and anyway 
the communication barrier is very, very thick. It seems to me that uh, Japanese is a hard language for Google <laughs> to translate. Because, <laughs> like, when you, you know, when you click translate and you're looking at something that's in Dutch or in Spanish or whatever, which I've been doing a lot lately because I've been reading these uh, reviews of the Fleetburner album and a lot of them are in different languages mm-hmm. in Europe. And mm-hmm. so it's German or whatever. You know, you click translate and the thing that you read is, you know, very readable and mm-hmm. it all makes sense. But when I click translate on Japanese stuff, it's like a whole man. I, I kind of maybe I know what's going on, but man, it's it's it must be way more difficult. But uh, the guy that I that is my contact, he speaks some English, but it's it's like he's studying and it's hard for him. You know, and uh, anyway, so our communication barrier is thick, but we had so much fun doing uh, this other song, this uh, stand up and shout. So we're also going to do a song by Rainbow, uh, which Dio is the solo band for um, uh, Ronnie James Dio. He was in Black Sabbath after Ozzy and before mm-hmm. that he was in the band Rainbow. And he's one of the best. I mean, he's one of the greatest rock and roll vocalists of all time. But uh, there's a song that Rainbow did called Kill the King. They want to do that next, and they've asked me to, to join them for that. So we might, I don't know what that's going to turn into. We might produce all kinds of covers of Ronnie James Dio songs, which, hey, <laughs> there's worse ways to, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, to noodle away an evening than singing Dio. Yeah. So can these be found on YouTube? Yeah, uh, the the easiest way is if you just type in my name, Ken Simmerly, and stand up and shout, you'll find it. It was a lot of fun. Let's do my last four questions. Uh, do you like The Office or Parks and Rec better? Um, I have really, I've never watched either of them really. I've never actually, I've never seen an episode of Parks and Rec at all. I have seen some episodes of The Office, but I hated The Office when I was on CTI because I felt like <laughs> I was, you know, I was with these people and we were always, you know, hanging out and talking or whatever. And we'd be telling stories. I love telling stories and I love hearing stories about people's lives. And, uh, you know, somebody would be like, oh, man, this crazy thing happened to me today. And then someone else would go, oh, that reminds me of this time where my aunt and my grandma had this thing happen to them, blah, blah, blah. And we'd be going on telling stories. And then someone goes, oh, that reminds me of when Dwight. And then it was the office for the rest of the Uh. conversation. (laughs) And I was just like, you know what? Why don't we just watch the show? You know, (laughs) Why, why are we even talking? That's fair. That's fair. So, so that's why I, 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 I guess I'll go with Parks and Rec because I hated The Office for a time. I don't hate it now, but. So I think that you would appreciate Parks and Rec because Ron Swanson is a libertarian, and being a conservative yourself, just the things that he says are so stinking funny. There's one episode where a. An elementary school is coming to the city hall to do a little field trip, and this girl comes and asks. Okay, him wait, questions. wait. Let me preempt. Let me preempt this because I, somebody was just telling me I think about this episode because he helps a little girl write uh, an essay on how government is useful. Yes, and, and he and eats says, all of her isn't? lunch. Yeah. Well, he he teaches her about taxes, and the way he teaches her about taxes is he like saves her one bite of her lunch. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. So I think for that reason, I like that. Yeah, yeah I might maybe maybe this is my show. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, okay, next question is Genesis 1 through 11, pre-Abraham. Also, I'm really excited when I finally branch out enough to get, like, atheists on the show to ask them this question. Uh, Are you still going to ask them? Oh, yeah. These are the four questions that I ask. These are your standard questions. Yeah. And it'll be funny. I don't know if, I mean, I don't know if... If if there's any surprise there, they're just gonna go. Oh, it's allegory, or, yeah, or it's just wrong. You know? <laughs> yeah. Anywho, so uh, Genesis one through eleven, pre Abraham, is this legend or history? Um. So for my part, I am convinced that the Bible presents it as history throughout the New Testament and Old Testament alike. The pre Abraham stories are referred to a lot to kind of hang some major theological issues on. Do you think that there are aliens? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, I do. What else do you want to know? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. On a scale of 1 to 10, are you a 10? Like, that they exist in the universe mm-hmm. or that they... Okay. That they exist in the universe, I'm a 10. And one of the reasons I'm a 10 is because, okay, maybe I should frame this like this. So obviously I'm a Christian and I believe in the Bible and and the Bible talks about uh, intelligent beings that are not humans. So I have no problem at all uh, making the leap from those things being purely spiritual to being corporeal and located on another planet. That Mm -hmm. doesn't bother me at all. Mm-hmm. I know that there are some Christians for whom I don't know why, but they feel like if aliens exist, that the Bible is not true. I don't know why they think that. In <laughs> fact, one time uh, when I was when I was at CTI between tours, uh, I was at one of the churches where we where we trained. There were these two different churches where we did most of our training, and I was uh, in the kitchen and we were like preparing a meal or something. I don't remember exactly what we were doing, but I was there with a group of my friends. And I was asking this stupid question, which I used to ask people, and it was this. I said, if aliens came to your house, landed on your lawn, knocked on your door, and they said, hey, we are from another planet that has half Earth's gravity, and also these these creatures are half your size to begin with. And they say, we're from this planet, half Earth's gravity, and our weapons are so advanced that we outlawed using them on our own planet centuries ago but there are these two main factions and whenever they go to war they have these very strict guidelines these very strict rules that they have to abide by and basically it limits us to swords and shields and spears and slings and arrows and things like that but each each side is given a certain number of heroes that they can recruit from off world so would you like to come and be a giant in our war and if you survive we'll give you a millennium falcon <laughs> that was the question i used to ask people don't ask me why but uh, <laughs> that's such a complex question there's so many it's pieces a great, it's a great question and it, it, it used to lead to some really funny conversations but <laughs> yeah i bet it did. by the way by the way, the answer for me before I had a family was absolutely. Now, I would hesitate, but at the same time, it's like, well, it's a Millennium Falcon, so I can always just come back right, and exactly. get everybody. <laughs> uh, anyway, so 
But there was a la- there was another group there at the church, and it was not connected to us at all. It was like a young adults group, and she had a baby that she was burping or it was crying or I don't know what she was doing, but she was in the kitchen with us, and her group was outside playing volleyball or something like that. But she had come into the kitchen, and she overheard me asking this question. She goes, oh, "How dare you? Like, don't you know that the Bible says that there's no such thing as aliens?" I was like, "What are you talking about? It doesn't say that." She's like, "Well, it doesn't mention them," and I said, "Well." It doesn't mention Native Americans either. She goes, yeah, huh? It talks about wanderers from afar. Now, I should pause here and just say, I don't know what she was referring to. I mean, I don't know what passage she was referring to that was wanderers from afar. But I said, could be aliens. (laughs) (laughs) I bet she learned at you bad. She was not happy. She was not happy. I don't remember exactly where it went from there because I was ecstatic and exuberant at that moment because I was telling my fun, stupid question about aliens. And then some lady went off on me about how believing in aliens is wrong. For me, it's like there are some things that when you say you believe in it, it demands action. It, it exacts a price. So you mm-hmm. say, I believe in God. And that me- it has to mean something. Well, which God? What does that mean for your life? Uh, and with aliens, it, that's not the case. It's like, look, I believe in aliens. I think that there could be creatures living far away on other planets. As far as the UFO stuff goes, um, I am really interested with the the recent article that was in the New York Times and some of the things that the Pentagon uh, has released in various ways. They referred to, you know, uh, recovered crafts from other mm-hmm. worlds and crazy stuff like that. I'm fascinated by whatever that is. It is exciting. Yeah, I'm really excited. But I think that the vast, vast majority of UFO stuff that's in kind of the world of UFOlogy is bogus. That being said, I like a little bogus in my life. And I do enjoy (laughs) listening to some of the people who talk about being abducted or talk about what they saw at Area 51. I I think that it's fun, but I view it as entertainment. All right, the last question is who or what inspires you to be your best self? Last time we tried this, I said that it was my wife and my kids, but I think it's my cat. We're done here, apparently. What in the world? (laughs) I'm just kidding. Uh, Of course, it's the cliche answer, but it is totally true. My wife and my kids, uh, by far. Well, there's something about people depending on you. Basically, every minute of every day makes you shape up. Yes, it does. Definitely does. But, you know, it it also, like, for me, it's just given me, it's given me so much perspective. Mm. Having kids and having a wife and uh, all that stuff. Cool. Well, that wraps it up. Cool. Cool.